If you remember the 125-400 rule, this will help you understand what's going on in people's minds. We speak at 125 words a minute. You can listen at 400 words a minute, but the speaker can think at up to 900 words a minute. So imagine this dynamic going on where I have 900 words in my head, but as the speaker, I can only get 125 to 150 out. The likelihood that the first thing that comes out of my mouth is a well-rounded, articulate and elegant expression of what's in my mind you got a one in nine chance or 11%. Welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and I'm here to inspire your true performance. From the framework established by Zig Ziggler, one of the top motivators and personal development leaders our world has ever known, who believed we could all be more, do more, and have more. How? improve ourselves, beginning with how we think about ourselves. So today, let's break down some personal development. In this show, I give focus to a skill that can increase your social stature, influence, and overall opportunity exponentially. A skill that, according to our guest, only 2% of the world is ever, ever taught. A skill few of us ever even think about having, though we direly desire this skill in others and adore those who happen to have it. So what is the big skill? It's listening. And why do you care? Well, wouldn't you like to be adored by others and have influence with them, have better relationships with everyone, uh, your spouse, significant other, your children, your coworkers, your employees, your business partners and associates, your audience, uh, your friends, again, everyone. I mean, please don't miss this show and its message. It's not a sexy message to, Hey, listen, uh, but neither is saving money or But being debt-free forever, well, everyone wants that. Listening is doing the work for massive social capital. You want to come off like Gandalf and like the most wise person ever? Learn to listen. That's what you're going to hear in this show. It's just so easy to stand out and be a hero because, as you're going to hear, so few people effectively listen, Uh, me included. My guest is Oscar Tremboli. He's an expert in this field. He wrote a small coffee table book that I just bought a whole bunch of titled Deep Listening, Impact Beyond Words. After a short review of this book, I knew I needed to bring him and his message to you, and I knew that I desperately needed it as well. Uh, Oscar is a consultant to organizations such as Cisco, Google, HSBC, News Corp, PayPal, Qantas, and TripAdvisor, helping executives and their teams listen to what's unsaid by their customers and employees. So I'm incredibly interested in this, again, for my personal life and for my business life. And again, as you're going to hear While Oscar began this research on listening in the business world, he's now focused on each of us individually, has the goal of bringing deep listening skills to 100 million people. So I'm going to bring you Oscar right after I bring you some great resources. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill 
bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Okay, friends, so get ready to listen really deeply. Listen, and when you're done with the show, you'll be able to do so much, much better. Well, Oscar, I have a lot of interview requests. I have a lot of agents who contact me for interview requests from people that they are representing. And you came through uh, an agent who pointed me specifically in your direction after I restated to them, hey, this is really the type of interview I'm looking for. These are the kind of guests I'm really looking for, these type of messages. And they said, boy, I think you need to talk to Oscar, I got your book that was sent to me and I knew right away, almost in a, Oh goodness gracious, we have got to talk about this message of listening. So thank you so much for being gracious enough to be with us today. G'day, Kevin. Looking forward to uh, listening to you as well today. Uh, well, and I will be making a great effort to be a perfect listener here. So you can critique me after we finish here. Well, yeah, there's no, no perfect listener and I'm not, uh, so just be yourself and we'll learn together. Beautiful. Thank you. I will. Well, you, you said this and I quote specifically, you said, I am obsessed with the commercial cost of not listening for leaders, managers, and employees. The cost of not listening is chaos, confusion, and conflict. So I want to dig into this, but even in reading some of your personal story, for you to even have this awareness, and I know some of it came in the corporate world, came through your work with so many people, but even in going back to your childhood, which I was privileged to read about somewhat, do you look back and see any kind of an opening, a propensity in yourself that you go, ah, it's not too surprising that that's what germinated for me later in life. Was there any opening or propensity for that that you saw even in your young childhood? Looking back, it's obvious in the moment it wasn't. Uh, when I was at school, I went to school with 23 different nationalities and I seemed to become the hub between the students and the teachers, between the jocks and the nerds, between the English speakers and the non-English speakers. And, hey, we were quite cheeky. We, we played card games at school as well. So people kind of recruited me onto their team. And I wasn't very good at counting cards or anything like that. But I could listen to the nonverbal signals really well. I, I realized looking back that I was noticing really micro expressions on people's faces. So I was able to join communities together through being able to listen and kind of see what's common rather than what was distinct and different in those communities. And that kind of played out as well in my corporate career as well, where I was joining the marketplace to what the offerings were from customers. What did they want to buy versus what we had to sell? So looking back, it's obvious in the moment, 
it wasn't. So there's kind of been this golden thread that's gone its way through my life where um, I, I kind of paid attention to the smallest of details. My wife is still convinced that I'm actually working for a spy agency because <laughs> I noticed yeah. so many things. Yeah. Um, about four weeks ago, we were we're driving past, this car drove past us, and I said, oh, you know, that's Gig, um, her, her brother-in-law. His name is Stephen, but that's his nickname. And she goes, how did you even notice that? You had like turned across in front of us. And I, I said, I don't know. I, I guess I see these things. And um, But what I've been conscious of now is understanding that simple things like listening are a practice. You're never going to be perfect at it. Unlike others, I know when I'm distracted when it comes to listening so I can get back in the conversation quicker. Mm. So whether it was in corporate life or way back then, even in the sporting teams I participated, I was often in leadership roles, um, captain of the team or helping out with the coaching and that. And what I noticed then, as I do now with one of the charities that I um, help out and mentor on, I'm always listening to what people want to mean rather than what they want to say. So you're right, Kevin, that's kind of come through my whole life. Well, it's interesting you say that I have, I have a lot of kids, but I specifically, my muse right now is two middle school age boys. And we've talked recently about just social awareness. And I see you talking about social and even environmental awareness and to kind of uh, elevate the, uh, that concept to them, I've said they, they like the the Born movies, the Born Identity uh, oh, movies. Me too. Uh, well, and so I said I'm giving away my spy heritage again. And there you go. That's what it made me think of because I, I said I said remember him. He and he talks about he comes into a room and he can tell you about the cars outside. He can tell you how many people are wearing hats. He can tell you you know what somebody behind him is 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 ordering for their drink or, and, and what. I said that is the kind of social awareness that we need to have to know what's going on, not be so focused on ourselves. So when we think about listening my first thought is ears but i hear you saying now this is this is ears this is eyes and obviously you had some natural propensity again to use that word for just an insight that you're now gifting us with the awareness that we need to have yeah and and memory um mm. is another thing that that matters when it comes to listening and you exactly. did such a great job of describing that scene when Jason is going from Munich to um, Paris in a little Trabant uh -huh. and uh, they're, they're in this kind of diner and uh, there's uh -huh. a, a truck driver in there as well. So you did such a great job of bringing this visual scene to life. And I think a lot of people who have been taught how to listen you know, we spend 55% of our day listening as a minimum. The more senior you are in an organization or the larger the influence you have, the more listening you're likely to do. Managers listen about 60% of their days and senior executives up to 80% of their days. Yet only 2% of us have ever been taught. So one of the things I've been taught by great listeners around the world, whether it's Professor Graham Bode from the University of Missouri or from Avi uh, over in uh, Hebrew University in Jerusalem or from Corinne over in, in the Netherlands is to trust your intuition. As modern 
people. We have so much technology and distraction around us. We've got to trust the very essence of what we are. And it's listening for feelings is what you're talking about there, Kevin. It's mm -hmm. a, your ability to feel for the connection between the other human because listening is our birthright. Listening is something we develop at 20 weeks inside our mother's womb. At 20 weeks, we can distinguish our mother's voice from any other sound. At 32 weeks, we can distinguish Beethoven from Bon Jovi. And the minute we're born, we come in, the very act of us being born is we scream, we want to be noticed, and we spend the rest of our life talking to be noticed. And all people want to do is to be heard. They crave for you to see who they are. And it was a great leader who I worked with who said to me one day about seven years ago, Oscar, if you could codify what you do, how you listen, you could change the world. And I thought about it and it just made no sense to me at all because when you say the word code from the industry, I come from technology. I spent 11 years marketing director at Microsoft and I've worked in um, mobile phone companies at Vodafone and it was always about the software. So when you say to me, if you could code that, all I could say is how do I put what's in my head into software? Mm. But what I've learned is don't jump to the software straight away. Code it into training, code it into a book, code it into a jigsaw puzzle, code it into a set of playing cards, code it into a podcast, and then the patterns emerge. And that's where we're at now. We're kind of trying to code that because I'm on a quest and the quest is to create 100 million deep listeners in the world because I think right now, at any point in the history of our humanity, we're doing less listening than ever because we've had more technology to broadcast than ever before. But the software in our head to help us to listen, it needs a, an upgrade. And that's my quest. Goodness. Okay. Well, on that note, if you will bear with me reading from your own book here, right in the preface, what you just said, you said the word craving, we're all craving to be heard. So folks, I want you to listen. This is, this is just a couple of paragraphs. The world is a noisy place where you fight to be heard every day. Despite the fact that we have been taught at home and at school, how to speak, none of us have had any training in how to listen. Multiple academic studies have shown that between 50 to 55% of your working day is spent listening. Our ability to broadcast messages has exponentially increased, yet it has dramatically reduced our ability to understand and communicate what is being said in a way that creates progress. Then in big and bold, we feel frustrated, isolated, and confused because we, ha we are not heard. That yeah. is powerful. And now you gave the statement a second, a second ago, craving to be heard. And so the, putting those two together, we don't know how to listen and we're craving to be heard. Well, that's why you're here today. Um, I, I see it. I see it with uh, my, the culture. I see it with my, my kids to some degree sometimes. And I think we do a good job of it, though I am. Well, here, I'll, I'll cut to the chase at the end of the thing. I'm going to ask you, I need to buy some of these in bulk. Uh, books. I love the size of it. I love that it's a, a small book and I think everybody needs it in their back pocket. I said, I, I need to, uh, well, we're going to get into, uh, some of the things I learned. Books have got me into so much trouble, Kevin. I, oh, I had, goodness. I had a lady, um, who carries it around in her bag all the time. And she sent me a photo of her reading this book in a hotel room and it was in the bath. So she took a photo of the bath and I said, I, I just took it to Jen and I said, you have to see this photo straight away. And she goes, what the heck is this about? 
And I said, oh, she just reads the book at all. It's like I've had a photo of her on a riverbank in Germany, as an example. And this book, because it's pocket size, it's designed mm-hmm. to be read and used in 60 minutes. It's not designed to be a, self, a shelf trophy that collects dust. It's designed to be applied um, and I want to make it really simple and accessible. So I just have to be careful because sometimes that book gets me into trouble. I, well, it's, it, I'll tell you, it stepped on my toes a good bit. I mean, you know, so here with our audience, the Ziegler audience, we have a, a, a good majority of people who are in business for themselves. They're involved in marketing, they're involved in sales. And I got so convicted right away. I mean, my life in business and marketing and even, you know, in PR has been about, of course, as you know, well, being heard. How do you get your point or your message across in person, online, in an email subject line, uh, everywhere? I, we have to pay close attention to the titles of our podcast because we know a good title gets open more, a bad one does not. And yet... It feels like this is that that hidden thing. We don't know what we don't know, and we're all suffering from the opposite of staying put and listening, which I'm sure if we would listen more, we would know how to even better get our point across. I mean, there this is this is simple math, but uh we not only we missed it, but I hear you saying as a culture, we are leaving it further behind right now. Yeah, so culture is an interesting distinction because in the West, there is a dominance for speaking. We've built a whole industry in the 20th century around how to speak, public speaking programs, um, mm-hmm. stage speakers who speak about the power of speaking and the influence of speaking. But you can, find, you can search TED and there's very few speakers that speak on the power of listening. The reality is, though, it's a very Western orientation. Let me take two different perspectives on this. When we look Mm -hmm. at ancient cultures and I look at the culture that permeates the land on which I live in Australia, for 60,000 years, the First Nations people of Australia, the Aborigines, have inhabited the land in a, in a peaceful and coexistent way with the land. They were hunters and collectors and they, they, for 60,000 years, they did a great job. And we ha- they have a word called daddiri. Daddiri means to listen deeply, to listen deeply first to yourself, hmm. to the lands in which you're part of, and to the people that you connect with on those lands. And then if we go to China and look at the ancient culture of the Mandarin emperors, they have a term called ting, T-I-N-G. Ting in Mandarin means to listen, and to is very explicit. But if you saw Ting written in Mandarin script, it's a six-dimensional character, and only two dimensions of that are about seeing and hearing. And then whether you go to the Maori cultures of New Zealand, just our neighbours, or the Native American communities on which you're part of, or the Inuit communities of Canada, all of them talk to the potence and power of listening because they were all tribal peoples and the way you communicated was around a campfire and the tribal leader told stories. But if you didn't listen, you literally died. Mm. <laughs> you know, if you didn't pay attention to be told that's where the wolves are 
in this ancient myth and stay away from that, you aren't going to be part of the tribe going forward. The other thing the other cultures do, the other cultures use silence in a much more nuanced and meaningful way than we do in the West. If you were to watch US TV right now, just have a look at a, a TV show and see how much time goes between each person speaking. It's it's limited, if anything. There's always interruptions and questioning coming over the top. It's like a kind of table tennis or ping pong match mm-hmm. taking place. But if you go to China or you go to Japan or you go to Korea or any of the Asian cultures, which are considered high-context cultures, where no said a particular way might mean yes, and yes said a particular way might mean no, but you have to be listening carefully to the silence in between that. In fact, a sign of authority in great leadership in the Eastern cultures is your ability to listen through silence as well. So I think in the West, one of the things we have to reconnect with is we've spent the 20th century learning how to speak. We need to spend the 21st century learning how to listen. I think that's the productivity hack of the 21st century. If we spend half our day doing it and we just get 1% better at it, imagine the difference that would make at home, at work, in our society, in our communities and churches, in our politics, and the ripple effect that's going to have around the globe. We see no shortage of lots of speaking but no listening in our political discourse, and yet we're no more connected and unified in countries or in peoples as, as we have at any point in our humanity. Well, yes, could we go from the information age to the listening age uh, would, be, would be dramatic. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to think about 20,000 breaths. According to the EPA, the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to 100 times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier and Air Doctor is just the best. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code KEVIN, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers 
into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. Okay, a couple of things you said there that I want to dig in on, Oscar. Uh, and it was page 79, actually. You said another ingredient for deep listening is to treat a pause like it's another word in a conversation. So you just talked about silence and that resonated with me. I was taught that in my early years of salesmanship that you ask for that sale, you ask for the yes, and then you pause. And I had multiple times where it was an uncomfortable pause. And yet that allows the other person to think through and then finally respond. And you're right. I do not see that in our culture. We are running over each other to get the next word in, to get the next thought in, to even to agree. Uh, but we, we run over that and pauses don't exist. And, and I can especially attest to my younger kids where they just, it's just talk, 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 talk. And, uh, we don't pause. And yet when I think of somebody, when I think of wisdom, honestly, I, I think of that, you know, actually, let me, let me run right into the next piece. Cause you talked about it. The, the ancient wisdom in that chapter in your book and you, the Chinese character called Ting, uh, which is, uh, yeah, folks go, go get the book. Uh, it's, it's page, it's page one eleven on this. It's a quick turn read, but so profound. And you talked about, yeah, it means to listen six elements. And the one that hit me also was respect. And mm. when I have somebody who is listening to me, I feel they respect me. And again, this primary thing where I would say respect is not at the forefront of our culture right now. We are so, well, back to the preface that I read, we are so longing to be heard that we're not serving anyone. So silence and, and respect. I mean, these are things who does not want to be that just like Jason Bourne to be socially aware. But I think we're, we're, we need you as the, the Pied Piper of this thing, because you're right. It's interesting. You mentioned the Ted talks who is talking about listening. It's like the secret superpower that we have all missed. We needed you 20 years ago, Oscar. Yeah. Ideas come, come at a time and it's not my idea. It's just an idea that's coming through me at the moment. There's no original okay. ideas, just original interpretations. And I was quite touched because um, somebody I was working with in the Netherlands who got a copy of this book was using this book in the context of helping nurses debrief mm. parents who just watched a movie. And the parents were parents of autistic children. And the movie was um, a really potent, powerful movie. Um, what I'm about to say to you next, Kevin, may cause a disturbance for some people, but I think the message is important, so bear with me. Mm -hmm. It's a difficult story for me to tell because it was the moment at which I realized this was not my idea anymore, but uh, it was an idea whose time had come. 
when I was talking to Patricia, who emailed me to say, is it okay to use your book to debrief people watching this movie? I said, sure, no problem. And she said, you know, what have I got to do legally? I said, don't worry, just let's get the idea out there. I haven't got time for lawyers. And she showed me the training program that nurses would use as they would show a DVD in a hospital room to parents. And the movie was called Listening to My Death Wish. And in the Netherlands, euthanasia is legal. Um, You have to go through a very rigorous process. You have to see a, a GP doctor. You have to see a psychologist. You have to see a psychiatrist. And then you can make a choice. But people who are very high on the autism spectrum struggle with the social cues you were talking about earlier on. And life is tough. And Echo in this trailer of a movie, which is in English, I I haven't seen the full version because it's in Dutch, Um, he's, he's, he's about 45. And it's not that he wants to die, but living is so hard for him that it's his only choice. And to have this, the five levels of listening used to help debrief nurses and parents about this ultimate choice that somebody's choosing to make just struck me that it is an important idea and I need to get out of the way and make sure that it flourishes because originally this work was designed for the workplace. Mm -hmm. That's where all my research had been done, but now I see it being applied in in educational context, I see it applied in prisons in other countries. I see it applied by school principals. I see it applied um, in the Netherlands as well in this example. Um, And and in the trailer of the movie that I saw, there's only three scenes. Scene one, the family is scattering the ashes of Echo at a river and the wind blows back and the ashes come back on them and they all have a laugh and a giggle. Scene two, Echo is putting labels on Lego pieces that he's created with his sister name and and his parents' names. And then finally scene three, Echo is sitting in a chair in a hospital with an IV drip in and his sister and mum and dad are around him and he's obviously at that moment in his life that he's making the choice that is his. And it just struck me then. I was so scared when I saw this and I turned to my wife in anger saying, this is wrong, this is not what it's meant for, we, we need to stop this. And she literally, Jen, smacked me over the back of the head and said, this is the impact you're making in the world. Stop strangling the idea, get out of the way. It's not your choice how people use this. It's your choice to make sure everybody knows about this. Okay. And, and in that moment... Yeah, some energy left me and I moved to a different level of thinking to go. And, and that's the reason I went, I need to, I need to spread the word and need to get on podcasts because it's the ultimate listening platform. Mm-hmm. So that, so that this idea, you know, I know that 200 times more people will hear this podcast and ever read the book, despite your fabulous promotion of the book. Thank you, Kevin. Um, but I need I need to, to get to 100 million deep listeners in the world. I need to get the message out and I need to get the message out in a really simple, elegant way. And that's why we've put so much work in the design of the book mm-hmm. to make it um, the characters in the book that you've seen. Uh, an enormous amount of work went into that by a, a, an amazing Indonesian artist 
who just had a goal. And, and it's funny how things work out. He said, my goal was always to be published in a book. And I got to be published in, in your book. And he got the first copy of the book when it came off the printing press. And um, you, you just don't know how you're going to hear what people want uh, if you just give up and just be a little bit more humble and just let listening take place rather than something you do. Well, I am so grateful you did push through to let this message come out. Uh, Oscar, you and, and folks for you to know, Every chapter is ended with, in essence, what not listening listening is costing you. And uh, if I could ask you, uh, obviously, there's 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 so many different ways. But if you could summarize for the people that are out there listening, they hear this, it's resonating with them. But just to drive at home, what are we? Because we want to know what's in it for us. What are we missing out on by being ignorant of? these skills of the gift of listening, what would you say bubbles to the top of the primary things we're, li- we're missing? Yeah, practically, if you're a business owner, it's missed potential. It's missed opportunity that you count in missed sales. But it's also not hiring the right staff because you didn't listen properly in an interview or losing great staff because you didn't pay attention to them while they were working with you. For doctors, it, the difference between a on average, a doctor will listen for 18 seconds before they interrupt a patient in North America. If they just wait to 90 seconds, they have a 10 times lower malpractice suit against them and patients recover 34% faster. But it's at home. It's in our family relationships, Kevin. It's your ability to listen to what your children mean, to what your parents mean when they say something and not just listen to the words. That means relationships feel natural and not strained and you don't feel like every conversation's Groundhog Day with them. So I talk about chaos, confusion and conflict and that happens at home as much as it happens at work. And who wouldn't want a world free of those three things? Hmm. That's the cost of not listening. Thank you for going there because as you started off in the workplace, that's right where I was going to go and ask you. I mean, you, you have a wife, you have children, you now have grandchildren. And as we pass down legacies, good and bad, this is a legacy that you're living out with them. Is there, as you have come into this awareness in your personal relationships, whether it's them or those close to you, has there been some specific moments of value that are highlights for you in your personal relationships where this listening skill, it was a godsend to have this skill? Yeah, I, I always say that uh, Killy, our dog, kind of saved our marriage because uh, I was the classic interrupting listener. Uh-huh. Um, I will, when we get home and walk, the dog I'd always try and solve the problem that Jen would be talking about for the day and then you know coming to this awareness you know men listen to fix and women listen to feel and what Killy taught me was just be in the moment and just listen so I'm I'm not saying that uh, dogs are going to be the answer to everything but sometimes your teacher comes from a place you absolutely don't expect. And it was his ability to just keep me centered and bring um, a patience to the, 
to the dialogue with Jen as we we walk around a block. It's a it's about one and a half mile walk with the dog. It was that place and space that it could just be a way to train me in how to listen to my wife because I'm no better than anybody else. There are things that she's going to say that frustrate me, that trigger me, that get me angry. And it was every time I noticed that, it was like, okay, just keep moving on, just listen and use the silence a lot more. And sometimes she'd say, oh, we're home already. It's your your turn to talk now. And I said, well, you know, I think you've solved what you needed to solve. She said, yeah, you did a really good job then. And I literally didn't say anything for a mile and a half. She just talked it out herself and, and got and got to the result. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's hard, you know, with my dad, for example, he's struggling with his health. Um, he's at a stage of his life where he's had a stroke and many mm. um, heart um, operations. And when you have a stroke, you struggle with memory, but also for him as a a strong European male, you know, his, his independence was challenged. He, he lost his driver's license for a while and listening to him and how important that mattered to him. I, I kept saying, dad, it's not safe for you to drive. You know, if they've said, don't drive, don't drive. But I had to take a bit of my own advice. And the second and third time I was saying that, and he wasn't paying any attention was the moment I went, what does this mean for my dad? It's not about the driver's license. Mm. It's about his independence as, as, a, as a person. And he would be isolated and trapped at home if he wasn't able to drive. And then I just turned it at that point and I realized that I wasn't listening. And I said, okay, dad, what's a simple next thing we can do to find out what you need to do to get your driver's license back. And the conversation changed because I moved from me blocking it and me finding all the reasons why not. And I realized in that moment, it was about his independence, not about driving. Mm -hmm. Driving was just an instrument for him to be able to shop for food when he wanted to go and collect a newspaper, to go and visit the doctor, to go and see other people at the gym that mm. he had to go to for his physical therapies and things like that. So it's in those moments that I see that, Kevin, and, and know that every day I need to practice what I preach because, you know, the difference between me and a recreational listener isn't that I'm a great listener. It's just I notice when I'm not. Goodness. You talked about being an interrupter uh, yourself with your wife and in the book, page 17, you list out the four types of listeners. Number one, lost. Number two, interrupting. Number three, shrewd. Number four, dramatic. I yeah. took me possibly seven seconds to know what <laughs> I was. Which one? I am mainly lost and, yeah. and, and somewhat shrewd. Now, when I, when I first saw lost, I, I thought it didn't resonate by, by title. I'm not, I'm not lost, but I'm lost in my own thoughts. I'm so aware of it. Yeah. Uh, and I wondered with this, is there one that more prevalent? Or are these pretty much shared amongst all? Uh, because when I look at that, when I, when I first read that, and of course, this is, I'm not reading the definitions, but I would think most people would say, ah, you know, so-and-so everybody else is interrupting. Everybody interrupts me. Uh, or they don't, you know, they don't pay attention, which is lost, I guess. But yeah. it was, it was a brilliant 
definition of each one. I thought that that covers it so well. And it's so easy to see. It, it feels like an audit that everybody ought to do first off. Uh, yeah. The, the, what you're describing there, what I call the four villains of listening. Mm. They, this is the dark side of listening. This, this is when we show up with our evil listening superpower in, instead of our great intention and uh, I've surveyed and uh, keep surveying 1,410 people as part of the research that sits behind the books and, and the um, software that we're developing for, for deep listening. And if I'm in a room or in the survey, the, the listening type that frustrates people the most that is kind of about 34% is the interrupting listener because they're most overt, they're most obvious Yet the one that frustrates people the most are the dramatic and shrewd listeners. The shrewd listener disproportionately represented in the medical profession, in the consulting profession, in the sales profession, uh, legal accounting, any kind of professional services. A shrewd listener typically will have their hand on their chin and deeply looking into your eyes and thinking very deeply and you think they're listening but in their head this is the movie that's playing <laughs> kevin you think that's your problem i know five other problems you've got oh after God. this and i'm gonna fix all of them can you just stop talking so i can tell you how brilliant and sophisticated and an expert i am yet in that moment when you're not listening to them because you're not listening at the five levels of listening, you're just listening to what they're saying, you miss the opportunity because you're not listening. Many sales are lost because we're too busy with the solution, typically the product or the service, to listen to what they haven't said because it's listening to what they haven't said which is where the power comes from the conversation. The dramatic listener is um, someone who loves listening to you because that just creates a theatre or a stage for them to tell a bigger story. They might say to you, gee, my boss is awful. My boss is so difficult to deal with. And they'll just jump in and tell you an amazing story about how the boss that they've had was even worse and their story is even more dramatic than yours. So be grateful because their story is bigger than yours. And, and you did a great job there describing the lost listener, lost in, lost in their own thoughts. And I think the point I'd love to make is listening is relational and it's situational. So you'll listen differently to different people. You'll listen to your doctor differently to your children and you'll listen differently to your boss than you would to a customer or you might listen differently to a peer than you'd listen to your children. But equally, you'll listen differently in situations. Mm -hmm. So if you're in a doctor's surgery and about to be told you've got breast cancer, you'll be very much listening differently than if you're going in for your annual checkup. And you'll listen differently in church to your leader if it's a wedding ceremony compared to a regular weekly um, uh, church meeting that you might go to. Uh, we listen differently to our parents at the dinner table compared to when we're with our parents and maybe it's a parent-teacher meeting. So it's listening is so nuanced that no two situations are the same. And if you notice that we listen differently in relation to people as well as situations to other people, 
that becomes really helpful to us because then we go, okay, some of us make up a story and go, oh, Mary's going to tell that story at the Christmas dinner again. She tells that story every year. And one of the things I've learned is people will repeat a story till they believe that they've been heard. And one of the things you want to explore is what does Mary mean rather than what she's actually saying. And when she's been heard like that, she'll probably stop telling her story at Christmas dinner every year. That is dramatically interesting, Oscar. I'm, I'm thinking about people in my lives and thinking about those stories that come over and over. And what if I stopped and dug in and got to the full meaning of that? You said a moment ago in being, in my case, lost, uh, or having the, the lost tendency or the shrewd tendency that I'm missing, I might be missing a sale. And I thought right away, the sale of connecting with my wife or my child, uh, specifically, right. much less my, you know, business partners or employees or, or whatnot. What then the other side, you said the dark side of listening, but you talk about, of course, conscious listening. And you again, list out four things, intentional, systematic, curious, and progressive. And folks, I, I am, this is a book to keep in your back pocket, to study and to know, and to be a companion to you. So I'm not going to go, um, through that, but, uh, you know, it's at page 52. You said to be a deep listener and help your speaker progress their thinking, ask one of the following questions. And you have four there. The one that hit me, Oscar, and I think it's because I have, you know, I, I do recollect in the past, the concept of saying when somebody finishes, you know, tell me more, but you stated it this way. It was actually number four in your list. What is it you have? What is it you haven't said? And I immediately went to business discussions, especially with a business partner or investors. Uh, it went to employee discussions and it went to specifically discussions with my wife, some with my kids, but probably even more so with my wife. When have I ever said that? I think she would fall over. Um, I'm usually either have a shrewd response or I'm just silent and just say, okay, but what is it you haven't said? Tell me more. That would be, that, that could be relationship changing. Obviously, as you know, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. You know this, but yeah. again, I feel listen, listen incredible. For these code words. When, yeah. when you ask that question, you will get these code words back. They'll sound like a couple of these sentences. Kevin, what really matters to me is, Kevin, what's really important is, Kevin, if I take a step back, the only thing that matters is, and, and they will use this coded language because you've given them the time to think. Here's, here's a commercial break from neuroscience. If you remember the 125-400 rule, this will help you understand what's going on in people's minds. We speak at 125 words a minute. You can listen at 400 words a minute, but the speaker can think at up to 900 words a minute. So imagine this dynamic going on where I have 900 words in my head, but as the speaker, I can only get 125 to 150 out the likelihood that the first thing that comes out of my mouth is a well-rounded, articulate, and mm -hmm. elegant expression of what's in my mind, you've got a one in nine chance or 11%. Now, I don't know about you, Kevin, but if you had an 11% chance of surviving surgery, I'd be getting a second opinion. <laughs> I don't know about you. Yet every day when we listen, we take those odds when we don't ask the question, what else are you thinking about on this topic? Is there anything else 
you're thinking about on this topic. And it's helping the speaker explore what else is in the washing machine in their head. Those 900 words are washing around like a sudsy wash cycle in a washing machine. And the minute they speak, it's like the rinse cycle. Something clean is coming out of their mouth. It's clear and it's what they want to say. But a washing machine doesn't go on wash cycle only once. It goes on multiple wash cycles and it goes on multiple rinse cycles. So the question I pose to everybody there, why don't we do that with our listening? the conversations will be much cleaner if we go through all the cycles of listening. The math is pretty simple. If you listen to 400 words a minute, you should be asking that question at least once or possibly twice. And that helps us to explore level four in the five levels of listening, which is the ultimate Yoda move of listening, which is listening to what's unsaid. Because you're not listening for you, Kevin. Here's the irony and paradox of listening. You're actually helping them to listen to themselves. Mm. That's your job as a listener because once they hear themselves, they go, oh, wow, that felt great. Thanks for pointing that out. And then you can move on in the conversation to the actions if it's in a sales situation or working with an employee to break through on a particular project. So think about those, that 125-400 rule, which means you speak at 125 you listen at 400 and they think at 900. So your mind is programmed to fail because our mouth can only speak at 125 to 150 words a minute. Mm-hmm. You've really changed my paradigm. I, I had a, a question to pose. Well, you know what? I'll, I'll tell you, but tell you why you changed it as well. So a, a famous quote by Zig Ziglar uh, about friends. Mm. Everybody wants friends. And he says, if you go out looking for friends, you're going to find they're very scarce. If you go out to be a friend, you'll find them everywhere. So I had extrapolated from that. If you want, cause everybody wants to be heard back to the beginning of the book and yeah. we all want to be heard, then start listening to people. But even more, that still speaks of a reciprocity of hoping that if I do that, then they will do this. And instead you know, when I kind of coming back to the aspect of, of respect, when somebody listens deeply to me, my perspective of them is that they are caring. And to some degree, as we dissected here, that they are, they're competent enough to listen to me. They're, they're wise enough to listen to me. They're mm-hmm. not grasping to get their own words out. So I come around to, you know, what is the benefit, the payoff, the what's in it for me for listening is I will be wise. I will have value to give to others and that will be paid back to me. It's not necessarily doing it so that I will be listened to that's on somebody else, but can yeah. I be the wisest person my kids have ever talked to because I'm the one that listens the most and has the most insight in their lives. Same things with my wife, with my employees, with my customers, with my, I, I do want to be that. And the other side, kind of the dark side that you talked about, it's, it's shameful as I look at it and recognize myself there. I don't want to be that person. I want to be wise, caring, confident. If I, if I, using my own terms there and you've given us, you are giving us a, a map to do that. I I will, again, shameless promotion of the book. I I really feel it is masterful and I'm grateful to hear that it wasn't by accident. You put that much effort into it. I like the list. I like how it culminates and gives me, these are actionable steps that I can get. These are audits I can do on myself. How can I, how can I help you get these books out? Well, you know, first off, we'll start with getting this show out 
to as many people as we possibly can. And, um, I, I may need to have you join me. I, I do uh, a Q and a every week as well. This is a question that needs to be put out there to kind of pull out some of people's own feelings on this. And I may need to have you come join me again. Um, oh, what a, what a gracious invitation. And when we think about the book and you've had the physical book, there's also the Amazon um, Kindle version of the book. Um, but it was commented to me about the book design and the characters that's commented quite a bit, but the deeper listeners, uh, pointed something out to me that I didn't realize my book editor had done deliberately. So Kevin, you mentioned earlier on that there's, um, what listening isn't at the end of every kind of chapter, but equally there's a blank page at the end of each chapter that you probably didn't notice. And that black page is designed so you can pause and listen to yourself as you turn the page rather than there being another visual distraction for you. And when Kelly pointed this out to me, I just thought that was so masterful. But what she said to me was even more potent because working with me as the editor, she's kind of really embraced uh, the five levels of listening and championed them in a way you have today as well. And she said, I wanted to bring to life how to listen to what's unsaid and how to listen to the silence in the pages of the book. And I didn't know how to get that out of you. And then one day I read a book that had a page that said, in, and, and you've probably seen this in books, this page is intentionally blank. Goodness. And she, she got the concept and she went, ah, that's how we bring the concept of silence and listening to the unsaid in the book to life. And again, it's another great example. It's not my idea. It's just an idea that's coming through me that Kelly took and and built on and other people who actually think at level three, four, and five listening, which is only about 14% of the population. A lot of those people um, have pointed that out to me. Um, And I also see it in the, um, in the Amazon reviews of the book too. Well, um, I am a champion uh, of this book, Oscar. I'm, again, grateful for you coming on here. I am going to continue to digest it. I need to get a lot of books for people that I uh, know and love, and I want to have a discourse with them on this together, and we will help spread this message. Again, thank you for doing what you have done to bring this forth, and thank you for taking the time to give to us. Uh, It is of huge value to this audience and to me personally. Thank you, Oscar. Thanks for listening. Okay, folks, you know, I'm eager to promote people's books who I believe give you great value, but this one, again, I am, uh, I bought a case of 10 from Oscar. As you'll hear me talk, or you heard me talk about, uh, to give some of my family and business associates initially, this is one of those things that is just such a great awareness, but if I'm really going to change, I'm going to have to work it out daily. Uh, you can get the book again at Oscar, O-S-C-A-R, Tremboli, T-R-I-M-B-O-L-I.com. Uh, Amazon actually has a Kindle version of it right now, but not the hard copy. If you got value from the show, give Oscar a gift, leave a review in iTunes, and mention the show if you would. Coming up next in show 652, I refer back to the interview with Rick Hansen in show 647 where we talked about being resilient and I wanted to hear from you. So I asked this question on Facebook, what is the primary enemy of your ongoing peace? 
And I feel like I keep saying this, but oh my gosh, it was again, a near record number of incredibly candid, deep responses. Most people seem pretty fairly aware of what the consistent culprits are that they can easily, uh, or that can easily derail them if they're not diligent and aware. Uh, so Tom Ziegler joined me and we talked through a lot of these comments. It was just pretty convicting for all of us. So till then folks, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.